BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. I'm the Ben Jarowski Show. As I speak, it's Friday, July 23rd, 2021. The headlines in, oh, I'll just take the New York Times. <laughs> so apropos to what I'll be talking about in about a minute with my guest, why infections are rising in vaccinated Americans. U.S. not out of the woods yet, says CDC's head. As if the U.S. has ever been out of the woods with this, with our response uh, to the pandemic. And then here's another headline. Shields against virus works, but it can be permeated. All right. Uh, without further ado, I will now ask my uh, distinguished guest to introduce himself so we get down to business. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Well, thanks, Ben. Great to be back on the show. I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University and the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty. How Democrats can build a lasting majority in American politics, and the kids are all left. Um, and I'm here to talk about the uh, unbelievable mess that is our country. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, without further ado, what a mess. <clears throat> all right. You wrote a um, an outstanding piece, uh, an, a column for the week, which I urge everybody to check out. Uh, it was outstanding on many fronts, David. Uh, one, it talked about uh, our insane political response uh, to COVID, and I, I'll allow you to riff as soon as I'm done with this. Uh, and then two, in the middle of it, you took a detour. And I love, I love columns and writings that manage the creative detour or tangent that ties back together. It's true. It's truly a great feat of journalism or column writing where you you go on that little tangent and then you think the guy's lost his mind oh he comes back to his central point uh so that's just one writer <laughs> to another giving you a shout out uh so but talk about the tangent as well to confederacy com uh, country a really well done column but it says a lot about where we are as a country right now so take it away uh, with your main theme yeah sure i mean so um you know cases are up everywhere right now right um but they are most up in in rural America, in red America, right, where vaccination rates for the adult population are below 40 percent, some cases below 30 percent in some of these places. And you've got this Delta variant that's out there. It's, I don't know, 
There's some some people say it's twice as as contagious as the original virus. Um, if you if your listeners are familiar with the concept of R naught, that's how many people you give it to on average. Um, and the original virus was something around 2.4, and now it's up around six, maybe even eight. Um, and so, you know, basically, Ben, we had like a 5-1 lead over COVID heading into the summer, and we blew it. Um, and we blew it largely because people won't get vaccinated um, in the Trumpiest parts of the country. Uh, they seem to be determined to bring the maximum amount of pain and suffering on themselves as possible. And, uh, and we cannot keep it contained there, unfortunately. You know, a, a 90% effectiveness rate, 94% effectiveness rate for vaccinated people is not 100%. Right? Um, and if we have a raging epidemic, we're going to have hundreds of thousands of breakthrough cases for vaccinated people. You know, a very small number will be hospitalized and even smaller number will die. Um, but that's that's the reality that we're living through right now. And it's very hard for uh, immunocompromised people of whom there are millions. Um, it's very hard for people like me who have little kids who are not going to get vaccinated until God knows when. I know they're saying midwinter now. I don't know what they're waiting for. Um, but uh, but it's frustrating. It's 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 really frustrating. Um and uh, last month, my, my wife and I took our first vacation without our child since he was born. <laughs> so, so three years, Ben, it's been three years since, uh, since we were alone for a whole evening. Um, we went to the Shenandoah Valley in, uh, in Virginia, outside of DC, uh, where my wife is from. And uh, man, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know the last time you, you traveled through the middle of nowhere in this country, but uh, it's, um, it's just, it's a different planet. And I mean, we were... <laughs> We, first of all, we went to this cafe, right? We should have known, right? The place we were staying was called Mount Jackson. Um, and we, we walked into this cafe. It's not, you know, not, not a ton to eat in, in the middle of nowhere. And, and we're looking around and, and we're like, are we into some sort of um, memorial homage to Stonewall Jackson right now? Like, are we, this is, we're eating in a cafe dedicated to a Confederal general. That's, that, that's what's happening right now. Um, and uh, the, the, so the, the one thing that, just to tie it back into people intentionally inflicting harm on themselves for because of the culture war, um, there were several restaurants that one of which we didn't go to because it had like multiple Yelp reviews like years apart that said that there were Confederate flags on the wall. Um, and another one we didn't know. We walked in. It was a it was a movie themed cafe, very cute. And uh, there's like one extremely old person watching TV, and then two like two white people behind the counter. And the vibe when we walked in. Um, was like if you've ever stumbled on people trying to hide a dead body that they just murdered. Like that was that was that was how it felt when I walked into that cafe. My wife is my wife is not white, right? Like so we were fish out of water there. So we order our sandwiches, and then my wife Shereen comes up to me and she's like, "David, I'm gonna wait in the car because." Uh, and she pointed to this bucket of Confederate flags for sale, and um, you know, as I say in this article, nothing says enjoy the food um, like the symbol of. Uh, <laughs> Chattel slavery is short-lived fascist empire. Uh, I have no idea why these weirdos cannot let go of the losing side of the civil war. Um, but it's like, people aren't going to eat there, right? Like there's only one thing going on in Mount Jackson, Virginia. Okay. It's called tourism. And you're, what you're doing to yourself is you're intentionally driving away the tourists who are coming from DC because you're selling Confederate flags. Um, and it, and it just really, it just really reminded me of this complex of people who are like, I'm going to die of COVID because you know, Sean Hannity told me the vaccines weren't safe or whatever. Like their brains are so poisoned by Fox News and by hyperpartisanship that they're willing to do this to themselves. And if they could just do it to themselves, I'd be fine. You know, like go, go all jump off a bridge together. But uh, unfortunately, we're all on this plane, man. So there it is. Wow. 
Well, that was a great riff, uh, and that exactly is the uh, the gist of the uh, of the uh, argument raised by uh, David in his essay. And David, I'll just say this: listening to you uh, again, and it's as though uh, to use that term. Uh, I kept blanking on the woman who came up with the uh, with the term, but leaning in. It's as though uh, MAGA is leaning in uh, into their culture wars. Uh, and I mean, we could break apart these two issues and I'd love to hear your thoughts on each. So we'll break it apart first before we get to, uh, the, um, the pandemic, just talk about like leaning into their, uh, insistence that there was something noble about the Confederacy cause. And they're not going to budge from that. And now they're going so far as to say that you're anti-white. It's so bizarre. So twisted. If you teach if you teach a history that uh, puts a light on the uh, the horrors of slavery, so you're somehow or other supposed to teach slavery in a n- neutral way, so as not to make white people feel bad. And this from the party that says that denounces snowflakes, denounces cancel culture, says they believe in just rigorous. You know, just telling it like it is, no matter who gets hurt. <laughs> I mean, it's so inconsistent. It's so immoral. It so violates everything they say they supposedly believe in. And yet they just, uh-uh, not going to. And I'm going to sell my Confederate flag, even though nobody is coming into my restaurant. And, David, I'm, I'm at a loss. We'll get into the... We'll get into the the battle in the in the Senate. Try to get Republicans to sign on to various Democratic initiatives and filibuster. We'll get into that. But I'm at a loss when I read your essay, your column, to know how we can have any kind of united in United States when we are this divided. Help me out here. Well, it's you know we don't have a choice, right? Um, but I think uh, it, it, all the stuff you're talking about is related. You know, this, the freak out about the 1619 project, um, which is like, it's just a bunch of essays that appeared in the New York Times like two years ago. It's very, it's like not that complicated. They're just like, hey, how about if like we acknowledge that slavery is a part of American history and instead of, of sort of bracketing it in the past, we think about the various ways that it impacted American uh, American history. Um, and, and as much as some of those things are still happening, why don't we try to fix them, you know? Um, and so the inability to, to like process the, the actual reality of American history um, is like the snowflakiest thing that I've ever possibly heard of. It's like the idea that you can't be patriotic if you acknowledge um, that things were not great in the past. <laughs> you know, like, um, or I, you know, I have to hate America because I acknowledge that, that the life was not great for, for slaves in the, in the 19th century or something. Um, it's just so preposterous. And uh, it's, it's like the thing, I don't know if you ever got into an argument with somebody uh, who knows they're wrong. Um, and then instead of being like, you know, you're right, I'm sorry. They just kind of dig in um, and they start throwing things back at you. And um, that's that's what's going on here. Right. Like the there's a there's a big change. It's that's that's sort of slowly washing over the country. Um, there's a reckoning over over racial justice. It's you know, it's slow. It's, it's happening in fits and starts. Um, but but more and more people are are recognizing the, the reality that, that things are still not great. Those things that things are still not fair, that there are still systemic injustices in this country. Um, and instead of like, you know, joining hands to work to address those things, um, white people have gotten together and decided that like any 
acknowledgement of, of our history or any acknowledgement of the role that as white people we continue to play in the system is like an attack on them personally. It's like an attack on their values and their heritage. Like, oh, my white privilege, so I just got everything for free, huh? It's like, no, man, that's not what the concept is. Okay, maybe wait, maybe privilege is not the best way to talk about it to them. I don't really know. I'm not a, I'm not a social psychologist. But um, uh, but the, what, the reaction to that is they're going around like banning books and getting teachers fired and, and driving administrators out of school systems and turning school board meetings into, into these like hellish showdowns with angry white parents. Um, and it's just, uh, and it's all over like a completely fictional, this is the most, this is like the most bananas part of it, right? Um, it's the 1619 Project is not critical race theory, it's just history, right? Um, and uh, no one's teaching critical race theory in like high school biology classes or something. And it's, it's just amazing to watch the ability of like Fox News and the right-wing media empire to get people to freak out about something that is they completely invented out of, out of a whole cloth. It's like not even a problem. Um, and it allows them to tap into this, this like latent set of grievances, like, oh, you know what? This, I, I didn't really like my diversity training at my job. Uh, so I'm going to vote for fascists and I'm going to die of COVID. Um, I'll stick it to them, right? Like as they're being <laughs> intubated, right? They're like, that'll show Nancy Pelosi. You know, like I just don't, it is, it's, it's incredible to watch people engage in this level of self-destructiveness. And it's really bad for these areas. Um, because at a certain point you have to conclude that the biggest problem with rural America is like the people that live there, um, hold certain kinds of values that are driving other people away, um, and that they don't want to live around them anymore. Uh, like I, I wouldn't even like, I wouldn't even consider moving to the middle of nowhere. Okay. Because even if I could remote work from there, um, I don't want, I don't want people like this as my neighbor, you know, I, I don't want people that, that. It's not, even, it's not even science, right? It's like people in your community are like being hospitalized and dying. The nurses are coming out of the hospital being like, please take the vaccine. Um, and uh, and you're, you're just, you're so stuck on the culture war that you you can't get out of your own way. I don't, do you see this video that was going around yesterday of the guy in Louisiana where they sent a, um, they sent a, they sent a, a, a reporter team, I don't know if it was like BBC or something, um, to interview this guy who was, you know, an unvaccinated COVID hospital patient. Um, and they were like, so why don't you want the, vaccine you know and they're like i don't want to push down my throat if there's an agenda and the reporter's like okay so what's the agenda he's like they want everybody to take the vaccine <laughs> it's like, yes yes that is the agenda yes the agenda is they want you to take the vaccine so you stop dying and and also stop infecting people that can't take the vaccine you know um so it's just uh it's just infuriating and um you know, this this attachment to, to the history of white supremacy is, has always been part of our history. It's always been part of the American South. You know, my, my mom's from Kentucky. I spent a lot of time in the South when I was a kid. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm under no illusions that it was like better in the 1980s or something. But um, <laughs> but the, the way that the Confederate, just to kind of tie this back to your question, the way that the Confederate flag has come to stand, um, not for some, you know, mythology that um, about the Southern heritage, but it's obviously a symbol of white supremacy. There was a, you know, there's another thing uh, being talked about a lot in the news yesterday, which is like this like fascist youth rally in Poland where they had a lot of Confederate flags, you know? And it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> who's more attached to the, the history of Southern culture than people in Poland, right? It's obviously become, <laughs> it's obviously become a symbol. It's like a right-wing authoritarian symbol. It links different, uh, different right-wing authoritarian movements around the world and an ideology of white supremacy. That's what it is. That's what the flag means. And when I walk into your restaurant and I see a Confederate flag, um, can I curse on the show? It, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> means you're an asshole. 
right? It means you're an asshole. If you are selling Confederate flag, if you're wearing a Confederate flag, if you are like, if you think the Confederate flag is a great thing to put on your T-shirt, uh, I don't want to know you. Um, yeah. And uh, it's not a surprise that there's so much overlap between people who sell and buy and wear and put Confederate flags on their cars and people who are dying of COVID that that could have been that could have prevented it by taking a vaccine if they had any sense at all. So it's frustrating because it means the pandemic is going on for the rest of us too. Um, oh my goodness! It, it makes us, you know, it forces us all back into these like decision-making matrices of like, should I do this? Should I do that? What's safe? What's not safe? Where can I go? Who can I do this with? Um, and I'm so, I'm just so, I'm so tired of it. And it's, and it's just, it really makes my blood boil that the whole thing is being sustained um, by by a 25% minority of the country uh, whose brains have been warped by like the 15 dumbest people in America on TV. So, all right, now. Uh, wow, that was a great riff. Uh, 25%. So is that what your estimation is of the uh, of the people who just are adamantly against the concept of, of taking the vaccine? It's 20. But you didn't you say only 50% of the country itself uh, has gotten the vaccine? So what you're saying is that there's an overlap. There's more people who haven't gotten the vaccine for reasons other than just some kind of quote unquote principled, and I have principled in quote, opposition to vaccines in general. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I mean, so I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on anti-vaccine sentiment by any means, but I, there are different groups. Um, you know, so there's about 14% of the population is under 12, right? So they can't get a vaccine. Um, and so when you're talking about the number of, you know, the percentage of the adult population that's being vaccinated, even in the places where they've had the most success, you're still you're still stuck around 70 percent of the population and you take 14 percent. You know, so 100 minus 70 is 30, 30 minus 14. Right. You've got about, you know, 16 percent of the population in a place like Vermont. Um, and then that number is obviously a lot higher in a place like Alabama, where people are um, ideological vaccine refusers. I still think that there are pockets of people that want the vaccine, can't get it, um, want the vaccine, uh, but they can't take a day off from work. Um, or they, you know, they can't get anybody to watch their kids in the two days that they might be sick afterwards. And that's like an America problem. And I, you know, I don't blame them obviously. Um, but, but you're still left with, you know, I, it, the, the national number is probably about 20% uh, of people who are not taking the vaccine for ideological reasons. They don't trust, uh, they don't trust the science, but mostly they've been convinced not to take the vaccine by, the right-wing media complex, uh, which is such an irony because it's like literally the only thing that Donald Trump achieved while he was in office um, was like sitting uh, was sitting in a chair and letting other people invent these vaccines and, and just not messing it up. God bless you, Donald Trump. Um, and so it's like the, the one good thing that your God emperor did um, is the one thing that you won't take. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's no, I encourage you to watch, just Google Louisiana, COVID, dying, whatever. Go watch this video because it's really instructive um, about what, what's actually going on under the hood with these people. Um, and they, you know, they don't trust the government, but they also just just cannot place the blame where it belongs. Um, and they'd, they'd rather die. They'd rather die than, than give Joe Biden a victory, <laughs> I guess. Um, and I don't know. You, there's, there's no way to reach those people with messaging. You cannot reach them. Um, unless, you know, unless you had a full block of like Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram, uh, just running a, a COVID vaccine ad, maybe that would get to some of them, but I think some of them are just too far gone and you start, you got to drop the hammer on these people, man. I mean, you got to stop letting them into grocery stores and, you know, you have to make life miserable for them. Like we've tried a lot of carrots. They're running lotteries in places, you know, you can like yeah. win a million dollars for getting a vaccine. They're giving away joints and on the West coast, <laughs> yeah. the West coast. Um, 
So it's a lot of, a lot of carrots, but not enough yeah. stick. And we got it. It's time for the stick, man. It's yeah. time for the stick. All right. Wow. And, um, so yesterday, I, and I meant to send this, uh, send this to you as a homework assignment, and I forgot. Uh, but yesterday, I talked about this on the show yesterday. There was an essay in the uh, Washington Post by a gentleman whose name, I believe, is Abernathy. And I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, and he is a Trump uh, supporter, or was. He says he's uh, left Trump because of Trump's behavior post-White House. <laughs> I just had a laugh. I'm like, what about the White House part Post of the White House? Yeah, it was the that put him over the top. Okay. <laughs> but it uh if he had heard uh your riff that you just went on, he would chastise you uh for being insensitive uh to uh, Trump supporters uh and not taking a moment to talk and listen to them and hear them out. Uh and it, it was the a theme that I see uh articulated from time to time in the Washington Post and the New York Times, uh, David from various writers. And I always have to smile when I read it because the people that we're supposed to be um, reaching out to absolutely despise the New York Times and the Washington Post. So it's like this attempt to be, quote unquote, even handed and understanding will only be met by derision. OK, I'm just telling you that guy. I'm just uh, you think you'd be a nice to <laughs> to a MAGA guy. He's going to go. Oh, thank you for really trying to understand my opposition to your opposition to the Confederate flag. I mean, I, I'm just so yeah. It, and 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 essentially, you know, your uh, your worldview is an elitist worldview. Uh, you you don't understand people who live in rural America, uh, etc. I'm sure you've read this type of essay before, so it's not the end of the world that you didn't read this particular one. But I just had a shake my head and just unbelievable we're in the middle and then he goes i I just have to say he goes you have to just get over the fact that like 40 percent of america (laughs) i can't even say what is you have to get over the fact david that 40 percent of america just believes in it in its heart without any evidence to sustain it that the election was stolen why do i have to get over that i'm just really trying to 40% of America believes in the Easter Bunny and is promulgating programs to promote the Easter Bunny. Don't you think at some point we, the rational, should stand up and say, no, don't waste any more money on Easter Bunny curriculum in the schools? I don't know. So what's your general reaction to this argument that you're being mean to MAGA? Go ahead. I mean, look, you know, if if I had somebody in my family and in the room with me, and I was tasked with like talking them into getting the vaccine. Obviously, I would not begin by being like, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, you're an idiot. You believe in an elaborate mythology that was like stuffed down your brain by, by a bunch of corporate executives at Fox News. Um, and you're basically a lemming. So go take the vaccine. It's probably not going to work. Um, but uh, I, I, my job is not to convince uh, MAGA minions to take the vaccine, right? Like my job is to is to correctly go out, describe what's going on in America, and what's going on in America is like very clear right now, um, which is that there are uh, that there's a stubborn minority of the country that's going to get a lot of people killed. But, I mean, th- let me put it this way: if you found out, right, that there was like a group of people in Afghanistan and they were plotting to kill two hundred thousand Americans over the next six months, um, what would we do to those people? You know, maybe they're in the mountains or something. We would bomb them, right? Um, and I'm not saying that we should <laughs> we should bomb. Um, anti-vaxxers, right? But we do need to correctly recognize um, 
that at this point, right, when there is a vaccine, a free vaccine available to literally everybody that wants it uh, over the age of 12, uh, that th these people are intentionally prolonging the suffering for the rest of us. And I simply don't have time um, to tiptoe over this, this like pathetic, like grievance minefield that you have to deal with every time you talk to one of these people. Um, it's like being at, a, at a, an entire Thanksgiving table full of toxic narcissists um, that you that you have to be like extra careful not to to send them off into one of their, um, you know, one of their episodes or whatever, right? Like, um, I'm so tired of being told that I have to take the feeling, you know, like I have to like, like that's something I have to worry about in my in my life, which I'm like, very busy. We all have our problems. But one big thing I have to worry about in my life is like the feelings of Trump supporters. Um, in, in a context in which Republican politicians go out like every single day and like they trash the big cities and they talk about us like we're, we're just the scum of the earth. And a Democratic politician would not dare get in front of a camera uh, and be like, you know what the problem with Alabama is? The <laughs> Alabamans that live there, you know what I mean? These stupid rural idiots, hicks in the sticks, right? Like, um, <laughs> yeah. so it's like they're the ones that are constantly like undertaking this uh this very aggressive attitude towards the left, towards the cities, which they despise. Um, I happen to love the rural. I love the middle of nowhere. I love to go there. I love to spend time there. It's 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 wonderful. It's beautiful. Um, I just don't want to be. I just don't want Confederate flags in my face when I do it. Um, and I don't want to feel like when I walk around, I, like we went into a couple places without masks. I was like, I think we're going to get shot if we put a mask on and go into this place. You know, like I don't want to deal with that. So. Um, no, I don't think that like we're going to solve this problem by by being nicer to Trump supporters and like figuring out why they believe the the 2020 election lie and figuring out why they don't want the vaccine. At this point, it's the only people that are going to be able to get through to them um, are are the people that they trusted as their information sources in the first place. Uh, and the, like no one, you know, no vaccine refusing Trump supporter in Alabama is picking up the week and being like, man, that David Ferris guy, he's right. Um, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just how it works, you know? Um, and at, at, at this point, all, all I can think of is like, how can policymakers figure out a way to make life hell for this person until they, until they submit, um, and, and, and get the vaccine. So you have to take things away from them. I don't know what MAGA minions cannot live without then. Uh, maybe give away AR-15s when you, when they get the vaccine or, um, I don't know, no one, you can't watch NASCAR anymore. Like, I'm trying to be as offensive as I possibly can right now because I'm so I'm just like so I'm so frustrated I'm just so frustrated with these people because I you know I, like for the next five months I gotta ha I gotta have a bunch of worries that I would not have had right, if these if these people would get the vaccine yeah um, and so I'm done I'm done with this like tiptoeing around like let's be nice to them I understand why people don't trust science and medicine but I mean like I, like every time you go to the doctor you're interacting with a system that's like designed to fleece you of your money um, and serves like basically no purpose um, in human society so it's like. I understand why people distrust um, medicine. I understand why people have a general distrust of things that they don't understand. Like when I get on an airplane and I really think about what I'm doing, uh, <laughs> have you ever done that? Be like, yeah, what's actually happening here? Is I'm being hurled uh, 30,000 feet above above the earth in, a, in a, like a tin can. I have no idea how any of this works. Um, and I'm just trusting a bunch of strangers I've never met with my life. And that's what, I mean, you are asking people to do that with a vaccine, right? But they're, they're there comes a certain point where we, we, you know, we have 18 months of data that it's safe. Um, there's a raging pandemic. Like you, you, at a certain point, you have to, you have to make this bargain with modernity and, and, and just go to the CVS and, and let this person stick a needle in your arm so that you don't die. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know that uh, 
by the way, just say MAGA picks and chooses what it chooses not to believe in. So, for instance, that great riff about uh, you're talking about, I can understand why people have uh, no faith uh, in, let's say, medicine or doctors, because uh, you basically get fleeced every time you go there. And yet, even after two campaigns by Bernie Sanders, we really are no closer to solving that problem. So, <laughs> I mean... All you got to do to get people to turn against Bernie Sanders yeah. is say, socialize medicine. You'll give up your doctor. Wait, you don't even like your doctor. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's such a level of illogic everywhere you look. And I and I struggle for this. I, I really do, I David. Know. I try to be as logical as I can, give the other side the best shot, think about what people say. Maybe there's some truth in the on the other side that could help me see the world a better but all I see everywhere I go is illogic. Uh, and I'm watching it just utter denial. If you don't like like the person who's articulating a worldview, like climate change, they don't like environmentalists because the way they dress or because they drink kind of coffee or the music that I don't know what the reason is. So I don't want to believe that's it. I'm not going to believe it. And yeah. it's just, and meanwhile, every year, it just seems like every year it gets worse. The fire, the forest fires get worse. The lake is, is going too high and then it's going too low. So there's a certain oh, madness. Yeah, the New York Times piece about the Great Lakes. Yeah. Yes. We, we yeah. Have, you know, I'm convinced that part of what's going on is uh, like people have a really hard time accepting that something that's been a part of their lives um, that they kind of accepted without thinking about it is actually a problem. Like there's like there's something about the way that you live and, and do things that needs to be changed and, and for the greater good. And they can't like, they just cannot accept it. And so like people, my parents age, I think have a really hard time accepting that like the American, you know, uh, car centric lifestyle and the way that we use energy and, and, and do things like throughout their entire lives, including a lot of things that they thought of as like, marvels of scientific engineering and like huge steps forward for humanity are actually part of the problem that are causing climate change and that they, you know it's not your fault like personally you know um but like we need to move away from fossil fuels and they're like no i love fossil like no one loves fossil fuels you know what i mean like no one loves like fishing this like black crap out of the ground and burning it like why would you like that? Like, why is that something you're so attached to that you can't possibly imagine other forms of, of, of turning your, your, the lights on in your house? Um, because you're digging and again, you're digging in, right? Like people are like, Hey, this thing is part of the problem. And you're like, no, it's actually amazing. I love it. Wonderful. Love black tar. It's the best. So I don't know. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I frankly think there's a similar thing going on with a bunch of senior Democrats who like cannot accept that like some of the ways that things have been do done in Washington, including this ridiculous filibuster, is part of the reason that we're in this pickle. Um, and they they like they can't bring themselves, they can't bring themselves to change it. And it's the same thing going on. People freaking out about the Cleveland Indians changing their name. Well, I uh, all right, we're gonna get to the we get to the filibuster, and I struggle with this. And so uh, and again, I'm I'm always trying to be logical about stuff uh, in a, in a very illogical work. So I'm looking at why is Joe Biden profess a dedication to the filibuster rule. The other day he said something, and I'm paraphrasing it. It was very bizarre. He said that there would be chaos in the world without the filibuster. <laughs> uh, 
And I'm looking at the utter chaos <laughs> of our country right now. Talk about illogic. Joe, you can't get 40% of this country to take the vaccine. Even though it, it will mean it'll endanger their life. How much more chaotic? Everything that comes from that, every public policy about gathering in large spaces, going indoors, going to libraries, going will be all practices will be shaped by that inability to get people to behave logically. It'll be chaos. So what is the filibuster actually preserving and protecting? And I'm like, does Joe Biden really believe that? Or does Joe Biden, is he still dedicated to that Bill Clinton nonsense, we, which we as a party and as a people are burdened with? What is it? 30 years later, but I could work with the Republicans. And, you know, we have to move toward the center. The, the left, we got you know what I mean? We had a drug war on drugs against black people because of that. They locked up black people because of that, right? They changed welfare. I just listened to Clinton and Al Gore defending their welfare law of the 90s. By chance, I heard that. I'm like, what utter drivel from these guys who are corporate Democrats? So you know what I'm saying? I just feel it's like the Republicans have done a good job of labeling the filibuster as this anti-Republican uh, partisan attack. And Joe Biden is so determined to prove that it's not that, that even to the detriment of everything he supposedly believes in, he's going to cling to it. I, that's, yeah. I, I know it really ultimately doesn't matter what motivates him, but what's your thoughts about this? Is it, is he just trying to be being too Clintonian for his own good? Does he actually believe the nonsense or a third one that he's just heading toward dementia? Your thoughts on this one? Well, I mean, first of all, reading that, you know, reading the transcript of his remarks the other night um, when he said nothing will get done if we eliminate the filibuster was the, definitely the first time since those Democratic primary debates that I thought maybe he's losing it. Um, you know, but you remember we used to play the clip about on the show. It was, Got the record player, you know, it's his record player riff. Um, we still play it all speak. the time. <laughs> Dennis, one of Dennis's on. favorite bits. Yeah. Turn the record player on. I was like, no, my this guy cannot be the nominee. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, again, it's, a, that's another thing I encourage your, your listeners to go and, and read this thing in full. Cause it really is like a, it's a monument to the way that Democrats are like the most lovelorn doormats, uh, in, in like in political history. Um, just waiting for Republicans, 10 Republicans, please, baby, I just need 10 Republicans, right? <laughs> like, um, they're like the guys outside the the gas station and uh, uh, the, the Lloyd Dobler movie, uh, Say Anything. Remember? Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're hanging outside the gas and sit, just like talking about how they can't get a date. Um, and, uh, and paradoxically engaging in behaviors that make it less likely that they will ever get a date. <laughs> um, but the idea that, um, the idea that the filibuster is what makes the Senate work and getting <laughs> rid of the filibuster will lead to things not getting through the Senate. Like, I don't know how you have breathed air um, on the planet Earth in the year 2021 and still think that the filibuster is what makes the Senate go, go, go. <laughs> um, and, and that, and that like empowering a, a, a narrow majority to actually do things without um, having to beg 10 Republicans to come along is going to make it harder to do things. Like the gist of it, 
I think the gist of what Biden was saying is that McConnell has threatened to do all kinds of like procedural stuff to hold everything up. If Democrats uh, abolish the filibuster, you know, he's like, I'm, you know, the Senate rules are really arcane, you know, so I'm sure that Mitch McConnell uh, is a master at this and he can go and find some procedure where it'll trigger like 15,000 years of debate um, until they uh, satisfy his demands or something. But the thing that it's amazing to me because Joe Biden was in the United States Senate for 36 years and the dude still does not seem to understand that the majority can rewrite the rules however they want. Yeah. Okay. Um, they could rewrite the rules tomorrow morning and say that Mitch McConnell um, has to come to work in a top hat and a monocle. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and he's not allowed to say anything. Okay. Yeah. They could, they can make it, they can impose like, you gotta have 97 votes to pass anything. I'm sorry. Like they can write the rules however they want to write them. And so whatever Mitch McConnell is going to do as retaliation for nuking the filibuster can simply be written out of the rules in about five minutes. Yeah. Um, and so all you have to do is nuke the thing and change the rules to stop this kind of procedural obstruction, which serves no purpose whatsoever. Um, and under any democratic theory, um, if people think I'm not consistent about this, I wrote articles under the Trump administration that said they should still nuke the filibuster. Okay. Like if, if America wants to be governed by these nutcases, they should see what the consequences actually would be if they get to enact their agenda. And they didn't abolish the filibuster because they know if they did and they enacted their agenda, they'd never win another election. Yeah. Um, there was a good, wow. there was a great piece. I think it was in the, in the New York times where, um, they, they went around to people and they like described the Republican economic agenda to them. And they were like, that's crazy. <laughs> They're like, no one would ever actually do that, right? Like, that's that's crazy. Like, they want to kill Social Security and, and roll back spending to, like, 18% of GNP, like it was in, in 1880. Like, no no one, no, like, you're having me on, right? Like, no one actually believes the Republican economic agenda because it is so outlandish. Anyway, um, and it's just, it's, like, depressing to me that we, it's in, it's in, go back to your, like, January self and imagine the worst case scenario, like after Democrats won the runoffs, before Republicans trashed the Capitol building, like, what did you think was going to happen? And if I came, if I went to you on January 5th, right after this, we're just like, it's election night, we're like, I got the Senate. And, and we're like, okay, so all that will happen <laughs> by August is that yeah. we will pass one COVID relief bill in March. Yeah. And we, we won't even be able wow. to, to pass like a highway funding bill because we're too busy waiting for Republicans to come around. Yeah. Um, and I, I do believe eventually they're going to pass a reconciliation bill that's going to spend a bunch of money. Um, and, and, and that's that's great. And I, I hope it's the best bill that they can get out of it. But it's just it's like they're not going to fix any of the any of the things that are threatening our democracy. They're not going to fix voting rights um, all because of this ridiculous attachment to an obscure Senate rule um, that does nothing but stop the Senate from working and stop us from fixing the problems that we need to fix. And it's not like people are like, well, one bill, it's, that's great, man. It was a great bill. It's like, Look. <laughs> do, you, I mean, do you ever run into these like uh, these like apologist accounts for, for Democrats on, on Twitter where it's just like Democrats can do nothing wrong? You know, like there's a strategy here. Don't worry. They're just trying to get Republicans to say no to them. And then they'll do It's like uh, uh, they just like won't admit, you know, they won't admit that there's a problem here. Um, without naming names. Like, and they're all dear friends of mine. Uh, <laughs> it's a, a point of view articulated by many guests on my show of the centrist variety. I'm just going to. We're always trying to convince me, Ben. Biden's smarter than you give him credit for. Ben, you were wrong about Bernie. They, you know, <laughs> Bernie couldn't have got elected. Biden got elected. Which, by the way, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, Biden did get elected, so that is clear. Could Bernie have defeated yeah. Trump in 2020? I mean, uh, I, you know. Yes, of course he could have. Yeah. In 2020. Uh, we did a... In 2020, yeah, I yeah. think I think he could have, yeah. 
I, can, I we did an episode a long time ago where I said, and I, I put this market down, and I'm still convinced of it, um, that the, the 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 variation between the vote shares of any of the people Democrats running for president w- wouldn't have been more than like half a point in either either direction. Okay, because the party eventually will unify around whoever it is, whatever is that people think was unpopular about what Bernie was saying would become the default position of the party, and then you know, uh, and then people would work for it. And so the idea that Bernie couldn't have won, I think, is ridiculous. There's a lot of uh, sort of retroactive certainty that, you know, like we would have lost if we hadn't nominated Biden. And it's like, I mean, we could argue about it all day long. You only get to run history once. Um, yeah. And so we'll never know. But um, but I'm still pretty attached to the idea um, that that a different Democrat could have done more or less as well. And I know it was a close election and the polls were off, et cetera, et cetera. But people are really getting gun shy about, about fighting for progressive ideas, even when those ideas are not popular yet. It's like, well, I guess we give up then, you know. <laughs> Like, like, oh, well, they don't like this idea. So I guess we just walk away from it. It's, no, like that's when you fight. That's when you have to fight. Right. Yeah. Like, obviously, you have to be strategic about it once you're in power. Um, but you don't just give up on your on your ideas because because you think they're not popular. You got to try to convince people that you're that you're right. Um, so and I just, you know, I, it's depressing to me that that's the narrative that's taken hold. And um, I, we just we got to get more done with this with the power that we have. I mean, the, 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 the clock is ticking. I just want everybody just to, before we move on, remember that one line uh, that David just offered up. Uh, the reason the Republicans didn't get rid of the filibuster when they had the chance to get rid of the filibuster was because they knew that if they passed the dumbass idea laws that they were proposing, it would mean the death of their party. And, uh, you know, uh, just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Just think about if they really had to, like, pass laws and rules dedicated to things like, I don't know, that... Don't take the vaccine. Like, how about if, oh, this is too scary to even think about. Like, if, if, if they if were imposing federal laws that would prevent states from offering incentives to people to get the vaccine, offering, prevent states from punishing people for not getting the vaccine, just making these dictates based on the, the most insane uh, portion of their party. Now, I believe they would do that. I think they're heading in that direction. And so what you're actually arguing is that Mitch McConnell, for all uh, his um, evilness, is actually like (laughs) a little more sane than Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, for instance. Yeah. Uh, Mitch McConnell's not putting pictures of himself on merchandise, like on beer merchandise. Did you see this? Uh, DeSantis is like selling these like beer koozies that say like, don't Fauci my Florida, this yeah. kind of stuff. Like Mitch McConnell is not this stupid. Actually, Mitch McConnell is very smart, man. Um, and the, the, the McConnell strategy about the Republican agenda, look, I'm not going to get on your show and be like, there are no popular Repu- Republican ideas, okay? Because there are, um, and we're really, we're, we're, we're not doing ourselves any, any favors when we pretend that everything that we believe is popular and everything they believe is unpopular, okay? But the Republican economic, uh, economic agenda is largely unpopular. And McConnell's strategy, the reason they are so focused on the courts um, is that they want to put the courts in a plane. You know, they, they want the judicial takeover, and then they want to allow the courts to impose the Republican legislative agenda on us, and then the Republican fingerprints in Congress are not on it. Okay, So they, they, get, their, they get their economic transformation coming out of the Supreme Court of the United States, and they get to be like, well, I don't know, man. I mean, John Roberts said that Social Security is illegal, so I guess we can't have it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear you. All right, go, go, go die in the streets, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of... Um, avoiding responsibility for the agenda. I think, I really do think that's why they didn't do some of this stuff when they were in power. Um, 
because, uh, well, you know, John McCain thumbs down, but also, uh, <laughs> like they would have done that. Yeah. But uh, but there are some things that I think they want to leave to the courts, and that's actually, you know, it's like a sort of a darkly ingenious strategy, I guess. Another reason that's just like blows my mind. The Democrats are not going to retaliate for any of this stuff. It's like, dude, they changed the rules three times in four years for Supreme Court appointments. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Democrats are just like, well, I don't know. I mean, Amy Coney <laughs> Barrett seems like she's yeah. like a nice lady. You know, I mean, she drives her kids to school. Yeah, She's not a murderer. Did you know that? She doesn't yeah. murder people. So I guess she's great. You know, it's the, the, the people have spoken. Um, it's just, man, man, just like the Harlem Globetrotters of politics, man. At least, at least the Globetrotters are in on the joke. You know what I mean? Yes. The Democrats are just like, uh, I just committed to, I, I don't know how to describe it anymore, uh, but it's really pathetic. And it's, it's infuriating that I have no choice but to go out next year and try, <laughs> try to get more of them elected. But that's, well, we don't have a choice, Ben. So it is what it uh, is. No, we don't have a choice. We've come to the end of our time and there's still uh, items that um, we haven't gotten to. So here's what I say. We bring you on uh, faster. Let, don't let as much time go between your visits to the show uh, because we haven't even gotten to Jim Jordan, Nancy Pelosi, the congressional investigation, but that's not going anywhere. So the, we'll leave that for your next visit. All right, David? Yeah, we could do every two weeks instead of once a month, you know? That'd I think be, that's a deal. great with me. All right, that's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.